Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Glenn, we are here at National Harbor, Maryland, the 2023 II Conference. It has been a week. It's been a week. <laughs> so far. It's been a week. I, boy, for, if, for those of you guys who didn't make it here this year, you, you guys missed one hell of a conference in, in every possible way. I imagine we'll probably have to deal with some things and have some episodes to sort of parse out some controversies that have arisen throughout the week. Is that fair? Yeah, that, that is more than fair. But... Before we get into all that, yes. we're going to have a non-controversial talk with uh, a couple of guests that are joining us here uh, this afternoon. Yes. Uh, we are joined today by Aaron West and Ashley Church from Gap Science LLC, uh, located in Melbourne, Florida, which is a training and resources provider. You guys provide training and resources for folks in law enforcement and forensic science. Is that, is that a fair way to describe it? Sure. Specifically for supervisors. Oh, supervisors. Specifically supervisors. And leadership development, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very important distinction. Yes, thank you. So go ahead and introduce yourselves to uh, our audience here. So my name is Erin West. Uh, I started in forensics back in 2006, long, long ago, and started as a CSI. I actually went to the very first Ron Smith Academy, which is where I met Glenn in 2008, also long, long ago, and started doing latency and crime scene back then. I did that for a few years, and then I went to be a government contractor, you know, at those secret squirrely places we all know of. I did that for about five years, and then now currently I'm in Florida, so I am the crime scene manager at the Osceola County Sheriff's Office, so I currently oversee our forensic unit, latent print unit, and our evidence unit. Uh, Two quick things. So uh, a lot of our listeners listening right now might not know about secret squirrely government stuff, so this is just kind of fun for the, the lay listener that sometimes you work for certain government agencies that you can't tell them that you work for certain government agencies. I mean, the biggest joke, of course, is the CIA. If you're an employee of the CIA, you can't say, I work for the CIA. You have to say, I work for... The U.S. government. The U.S. government, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And some of our lay listeners don't realize that you actually cannot tell someone that you meet where you work. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. And then where is Osceola County for those of uh, the people not in Florida? <laughs> yeah, so Osceola County is in the center of the state just outside of Orlando. So basically where Disney is. So I'll probably see you at the uh, Florida Division Conference. For sure. I will be there. And Ashley? Ashley? Yeah, so my name's Ashley Church. My background is in crime scene investigation. So I started being a crime scene investigator in 2013. And I hopped on over to Osceola County Sheriff's Office after working at the Orange County Sheriff's Office for about three and a half years. That's where I met Aaron. Which is also Central Florida. Which is also Central Florida, exactly. Disney actually takes up like four different counties. So Disney is in Orange County, Osceola County, Seminole County, and maybe one other county. Yeah. So we also have a house in Orange County as well and got experience uh, to be a forensic supervisor over the crime scene unit in the pre-screening DNA lab. So my husband got a new job in South Carolina working for Thermo Fisher Scientific. So you may get some of your lab supplies from there. And that's when I decided to dive into gap science full time. So that's what I've been doing since 2019, right before the pandemic hit. Now, this is a company that you guys started together, I assume? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and... How did you guys meet? So she was the supervisor of the crime scene unit and I was the supervisor of the latent print unit. 
and uh, we were both having the same struggles. So because often when you become a supervisor, they just drop you in and it's just a sink or swim situation. And so they sent us to, thankfully, sent us to some leadership training. However, that training was really awful and designed for sworn law enforcement officers. So it had nothing to do with forensics whatsoever. And so that's a real struggle. We've found that a lot of forensic supervisors have no guidance or actually anyone they can even contact in their department to help them out. So after that, we were like, we should make some trainings for actually supervisors in forensics. Yeah, we started with the forensic supervision course. So that was our first 40-hour course, and we liked it so much. We went on to make another 40-hour course and some other resources that we'll talk about later, I'm sure. So is Gap Science, did that name come from this gap that you saw in the it's so clever, isn't it? It's so clever. Well, I mean, not as clever as the name of my company, Ray Forensics, right? That's, that's you know, that's, that is, but, okay, so before we really get into things, we have to ask the standard double podcast question. How did you fall into Leighton Prince? So I started as a CSI, like I said, in 2006. But how, like, was that something you were seeking out to do, to be a no, CSI? No, I, I, well, a CSI, yes. So I went into, you know, forensics. I had the intention of becoming okay. a CSI. So, and then I was hired out of college into that department as a CSI. That particular department wanted us to specialize. So once we got our feet up under us, they wanted us to specialize in a certain discipline. I was very interested in latents and taking, you know, what I had pulled from a crime scene or developed on evidence all the way through. And so I told my supervisor that I was interested in learning that. And the the very next week, that first academy came out. And back then it was grant funded. The very first one was grant funded. So I actually got a seat in that academy and started learning latents then. So that was kind of where it came from. But Got it. Yeah. And then crime scene, did you also go to school for to, to be in forensics and then you, you you then went there and then got hired and got the job? And Yeah, so I was definitely grew up and influenced by the shows whenever uh, I was like, you know, a youngin. <laughs> That's when the CSI show came out. I always watched Murder, She Wrote, Law, uh, Law & Order, all those shows. Yeah. And I am a super geek. I love math and science, and I was like, how cool that you can solve crimes using math and science. So I love nerding out about that. So ever since high school, the trajectory was always crime scene. I did take a small detour while I was doing my internship at the Orange County Sheriff's Office. I noticed a lot of forensic professionals either had their master's or were going to get their master's while working full-time. Right. And I was like, that seems like a lot, so why don't I just check that box now so I can be competitive? So, And I wanted something a little out of the ordinary to kind of set me apart and I decided on entomology, the study of insects. So I studied that for two years at the University of Florida. My research had nothing to do with forensics. It was about a a stink bug. (laughs) And then as I was finishing up my my thesis, I was back on track and got hired as a crime scene investigator. What did you learn about the stink bug? Oh my goodness, (laughs) there's so many things. So at the University of Florida, they had inside the entomology department they had a biosecurity lab so believe it or not you could use insects for a bioweapon because you know insects like mosquitoes they can carry diseases right this particular insect i was studying was a a unique one because it was an urban and an agricultural pest Mm. so if you introduce it and it becomes an invasive species it can completely 
to like, you know, wreak havoc on our, our agri agricultural crops. So I had to actually like study the insect inside of a quarantine lab, which was like another whole experience. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, learned a lot about insects that I had no idea I was in store for. That's pretty cool <laughs> actually. There's, there's quite a lot of those in the DC area. Yes, yes, because in the winter time, they, they move on indoors. They don't like all the cold out there, so they move indoors, and then it becomes an urban pest, which people don't enjoy. The whole stink part of the, of the stink bug. Yeah, yeah. So people really don't enjoy stink bugs inside their house. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about some of the trainings that you guys are offering and what that looks like a little bit, and you know, what are, what, what are some of the most recent ones you've done? So we offer, so like Ashley said, we started with a 40-hour forensic supervision forensics in general. We do a lot of technical training and not a lot of soft skill training, and we find that a lot of supervisors are lacking that piece of the puzzle. So we usually start the class with some communication and conflict resolution skills, some behavioral tests, things like that, so they can learn their own behaviors and styles and their people styles. And then we move into more technical skills like writing SOPs, building training programs, a variety of things like that, keeping stats for your unit, audits, evals, all of that kind of stuff. So we started with a 40-hour supervision course, then we branched into a 40-hour field training officer course because there are a lot of departments out there without training programs still, which is a little traumatic, but it is what it is, I guess. So we made that course to kind of support the trainers in developing good content, being better instructors, all of that. And then we, this past year, made an additional supervision course, a level two, basically. So once they've completed the first one, they can move on to the second one and get some additional information. So we included some stuff in there like uh, grant writing, um, budgets, things like that, that forensic supervisors have to handle. So we started with that. We offer webinars and e-courses as many companies do nowadays with the conversion of COVID. And, and then last year we launched our first Forensic Supervisor Success Summit, which was a virtual conference for supervisors. And so that we just have a bunch of different instructors that teach on different leadership topics. And we do offer the event completely for free so that supervisors can log in and access that information from wherever they are. So that's that's our most recent development, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, initially when we in fact started out speaking, you, know, you, you clarified for supervisors, mm -hmm. but what I'm wondering is, let's say I wanna go for a supervisor position, I'm looking down the road, I mean, I would want to start taking courses to try to be, develop my and flex my leadership muscles so that I could interview better and show them I'm really serious about becoming a supervisor. Uh, do you get students like that? Do you get people who are looking down the road for promotions and Absolutely. this is a good development path? Yeah, we actually have some success stories too where they were either acting supervisor or wanted to be a supervisor. They put their name in the hat and they actually, after taking our course, uh, were able to get the position. So absolutely, it's never, everyone can benefit from some leadership skills. You don't have to have a title. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I mean, I, I found that I used to do interviews for promotions as well and hiring. And I did find a surprising number of candidates that didn't really understand what it was they were applying for. I mean, they saw the promotion and what they felt that that was, was I have been here long enough I deserve the next step and a pay increase, as opposed to I'm applying to become a leader 
and now I need to demonstrate I can be a leader. And they seem very confused by some of the questions I would ask them during interviews. It's really surprising. Yeah, I think there's supervisors in the role that don't understand what the role are. You, you know, they, they step yeah. into that role for the pay raise, for, you know, that promotional opportunity. Or just having control over making decisions about the casework. Mm -hmm. And it's a really hard lesson that we try to make sure that they understand by the end of the course is like you are not in a technician role anymore more you have to let the casework go if you want to be able to focus on the stuff that's actually going to move your unit forward like writing a training building a training program writing sops doing good performance evaluations making sure that your people are growing into their role and developing new skills so how do you deal with supervisors of different disciplines? Like I have to imagine like you're gonna get, let's say a DNA supervisor who takes this course versus a pattern evidence. There has to be some pretty dis big distinctions. Now, I imagine that from a supervisor standpoint that it, it probably really isn't because it's all supervising skills, but do they come in thinking, I'm a DNA supervisor, so I need specialized DNA supervisor training what can crime scene and a latent print person teach me about being a supervisor for a DNA unit? How does that play into it? So absolutely, we have definitely had many supervisors come into our courses of different disciplines. Some of them are in charge of multiple disciplines as well, which is a whole different <laughs> arena. I will say our courses, uh, we speak from experience. So we're not going to try to pretend like we know what a supervisor does or how things go in basically like a state lab. So a lot of the storytelling that we do and examples that we give is from like a law enforcement agency perspective. So most of the time it's going to be your crime scene unit, your latent print unit, and your evidence and property rooms. So I really feel like we speak really well to those specific disciplines. We have had other disciplines join that still have some takeaways. Like we've had some medical legal death investigator supervisors come in from you know medical examiner's offices. I will say we've had um, maybe some like DNA lab supervisors come in. And this, the technical skills that we teach, they are probably, it doesn't apply to them or they've surpassed that because a lot of state labs are accredited. Right. So when we're talking about building training programs and SOPs, well, they already have that. They're already doing that. So, but they do say that the, the first half of the training, which is the soft skills, like that's their favorite part and they always have some takeaways for that. And it is interesting that you mentioned that because we have realized that that is yet another gap. And so we have coordinated with some of our past students that have worked in laboratories to see like, can we design something that's more applicable to the needs of a laboratory supervisor as opposed to more of a field supervisor at a department, so. When you're talking with them and hearing their stories, are, are, the, are there additional challenges for those type of supervisors? For sure, it's, it's very difficult to supervise a, a unit that you don't understand what they're supposed to be doing. It's very easy for a unit to pull a fast one on you if you really are not well versed on what they're supposed to be doing. Right. So, and we have a lot of like sworn people will be in our unit where they're a sergeant, they were on the road, and now they're over the forensic unit and they're like, oh, this class sounds good. And then they sit there. I feel like they're usually very traumatized because they're like, oh, I had no idea like that. I just, you know, thought they went out to scenes and took picked up evidence, and picked up stuff, you know, put yeah, it in a bag so, and then that's it. Yeah, so there, there is a lot of that. Uh, typically, I would say the supervisors have worked in the units, but sometimes like even like myself, you know, when your supervisor, I, I never worked in the evidence unit. I now oversee them. So. There is a huge learning curve there. And we do have one day of that class where we kind of cover the individual units and 
the functions they should be doing and things like that to kind of help those students that are, are like that. Yeah. Or questions they should be asking so that they don't have their subordinates pull fast ones on them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That would never happen. In our no. Life. Never. I have a question. You mentioned you used a personality test. I, I, I went through some of the supervisor training as well, and it, it was exactly as you described. It was that law enforcement one. I don't remember. It's a national program. There's an acronym for it. I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was exactly that experience was. It was so, like all of the examples that were being used were a sergeant comes to you because the lieutenant and it's the, it's the night shift captain that like, what are you talking about? Well, we about? always joke, you guys would probably find this interesting, but the class that they sent us to the ethics portion, so we happened to be in a civilian class. They made it civilian, even though they didn't change the content. And so there were a bunch of forensic supervisors in there, comm center supervisors, stuff like that. Well, they could not think of anything unethical that a forensic person could do. So, so what they kept bringing up in class was coffee. And they were like, you can't get free coffee. Getting free coffee is unethical. But that was the only example they could think of of unethical behavior. And Ashley and I were sitting in there like, really? Like, has anyone seen the news in the past, you know, a few There's years? There's Netflix episodes specifically I, about no. all the shady stuff that a forensic person can do. Yeah, we did an episode yes. on that one. So we have... We have a four-hour block in the course, and actually in both courses, supervision and FTO, about ethics and integrity and ethical behavior with lots of examples, especially for those sworn people who come in and they're like, I don't even know, you know, what these people are doing. So we talk a lot about, you know, unethical behavior and, and integrity and, and all of that. Beyond free that coffee. Beyond free coffee, <laughs> yes, beyond free coffee. So what's the personality test you use? So in the supervision class, we do DISC, the DISC Behavioral Assessment. So all the supervisors learn DISC and how to recognize what their staff is. And then in the FTO course, we actually do Myers-Briggs. So if they take both courses, they get a little bit of both. So We have the Myers-Briggs and then we also have the Colors course. They're just popular ones out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you were talking a little bit ago about the this virtual conference mm -hmm. for, for supervisors. and coming up will be the second one, is correct. that correct? So when is that? And you know, kind of talk a little about more of how many attendees you're expecting and how many classes there are, or just you know more about to that conference. Yeah. So it's always easy to remember when it is because we do it during National Forensic Science Week. Hey! hey. <laughs> it's our gift to you. It's like she said, it's completely free. When is National Forensic Science Week? Well, September 18th this year, September 18th. I, was say, I think the it's the middle of September. I'd have to, yeah. Yeah, I would have to double check though. <laughs> <laughs> so the conference is four days long. We have seven different courses each day and they're pre recorded. So each session is available for 24 hours. So it'll, you know, whatever time it's scheduled at, if it's scheduled at 9 a.m., it'll be available till nine the next day. And then we have 30 instructors this year. We change the topic of the conference every year so that it's fresh, fresh information. So this year, the entire conference is about communication and conflict resolution skills. So each of the 30 instructors will talk about some short nuggets of a variety of different conflict resolution and communication skills. So we have a full day that is just general communication skills, a full day on conflict resolution, a full day on communicating with your staff, and then a full day on communicating with your chain of command. So all of those seem to be issues we struggle with as supervisors. So we have 
like like she said, that'll run in September, and you know people can pop on and off throughout the conference. Last year we had almost 800 attendees. Whoa. Yeah, so we had 800 supervisors or soon to be supervisors from the United States. We also had 14 additional countries that attended. That was the first year. First that was year. The first year. I mean, there's yeah. IAI conferences with 800 people. Like, not <laughs> yes. this year. This year is bigger, but yeah. Wow. So we're anticipating this year. We're going to aim to be at least a thousand plus. Yeah, you found yeah. the gap. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we pay attention to feedback and stuff like that. Not only is it nice to have some free training, but we also have heard from supervisors because of the format, like it's very short, like 20, 30 minute presentations. It's very easy to fit into their schedule. And a lot of supervisors like can't get away from the office or they feel guilty about spending training money on themselves to go to training. So we're very excited to be able to offer this to them, but we wouldn't be able to do this without our speakers too. So. Shout out to all of our speakers, and we have two sponsors this year as well. So we have Justice Tracks and then Blue Star and Lumi Sayano. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you get your speakers? Where do they come from? What's their backgrounds, typically? So they, there is a wide, wide range of speakers. So we have, we have speakers from, obviously, the different disciplines. They're all supervisors, so they're all sharing from their own personal experience or have some kind of since this year's theme was communication, we were really trying to focus in on people that we knew were good presenters and things like that. And then we also have a few people this year that are like former chiefs of police. We have former chief of like corrections. We have some other people that just do more of like leadership training, more like generalized leadership training that we're going to share some of their nuggets of wisdom as well. So it's kind of a wide, widespread of Yeah, we of try speakers. to make it diverse. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think Brianne Breedlove is one of the presenters this year, friend of ours, friend of the podcast. Uh, yep. And we've had her on at least once, if not more, uh, onto the show. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she did some great presentations this she year. Said, so. She did more than one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> she, she actually has a presentation this year on, like, how to manage highly emotional meetings oh, and right. how to, like, mediate and keep people calm when meetings are heated, so. We may have needed some of that training uh, at the conference here this year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. We'll have to listen to those episodes. So if you have struggles with that, she's teaching that for the conference this year, so. Yeah, so at least I have something I struggle with. Glenn's, I think, more of a, an even-tempered, I, 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 I have a hot head sometimes, I think. <laughs> I, I think it all depends on the circumstances <laughs> and the, uh, the, the content and our mental state. Sure, sure, yes. sure. So I, I have a question for you guys, was, and this will probably feel a little cathartic because I'm probably going to get irritated by this. <laughs> I'm curious that. about your observations. Um, when supervisors come to you, what, do you have any idea about what the sort of average number of ideal employees that a supervisor mm. should be in charge of I love in forensic science? So sort of a a range or a number that you guys like, or even data that says this is actually the ideal amount to actually have professional development and be engaged with them as, and truly managing and supervising? Well, I don't even think it has to deal with just forensics. I think any leader, I'm, I know there's research out there that says if you want to be effective, really you should only have four to six people underneath you. you. But we have, I mean, we just taught a workshop and people have 12, 12 subordinates. And when, 
the skills that we're teaching you on like how to grow your people, because your unit should run on its own, right? It should be its own well-oiled machine. When you step out of the office, it's gonna continue to do what it needs to do. Whereas a lot of supervisors, if they step out of the office, everything comes to a screeching halt and that's not effective leadership, right? So yeah, four to six people underneath you, that's how you're going to be most effective and do the things that you need to do. Like we do very lengthy performance evaluations and you know professional development and stuff like that. And you can't divide your attention amongst more than six people and be effective. Well, I think too, we have supervisors in the class sometimes that are like, oh, well, I supervise 15 and it's fine. Well, if it's fine, then you're really not, you're not putting, yeah, you're not putting a lot of effort into their growth. Or in the FTO class, we'll have people like, well, I'm training, I'm training nine people right now. Well, no, you're not. You're, you're really not because you, you are not effectively you're signing forms training, for nine people. Yeah, nine individuals or, or seven individuals or anything like that. So, yeah. so yeah, that is kind of what we talk about in class. Like really around six is. Any more than that, I don't think you're going to be super effective at yeah, all. Yeah, you're spreading yourself too thin. This is one of the reasons actually I left my old age agency was that. How many people were you supervising? 23. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you can't. It's uh, not and they want to add more. They yeah. literally were looking to add more. I was, I'm done. This yeah. is it. Typically, they, and multidiscipline there too, they'll have someone in charge of 20 some people in multidisciplines. They've got like DNA people that were in charge of 30, like 30 people in a, in a DNA unit. Every year during performance review, I would bring this up as an issue. How can this be a good thing? And what I was always taking data when I'd go and talk to other supervisors, and I was routinely counting six and seven. That was like the average I was finding in the field was six to seven. So hearing that the ideal is four to six, I kept bringing that to upper management every year. And they were just like, yeah, it's true, but we're never gonna, it's not gonna change. And if anything, it just kept getting worse and more and adding more and more. I think we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot in the forensic field, though, because we care about our work so much that we're willing to kill ourselves in order to make it work. So the higher ups see that, well, you've made you've made it work so far. So, you know, why change? And um, and, oh. and, and they also <laughs> use the, well, this supervisor is able to do it. Yeah, she is killing herself. Yeah. She is. Yeah depressed she is she I hear her bawling in her office every night yes she's making it work but it's not working it's not sustainable it's not long term exactly. it's not healthy yes yes for sure yes you're totally right about that and we also I mean I don't I don't know if you listen to any of our stuff but we talk about taboo topics and one of the taboo things that we do say to supervisors is at that point like obviously we would not recommend this for every little thing, but like at that point, sometimes you can't just keep holding up the unit. You have to let things, you have to let balls drop. You have to let things fail in order for a change to be implemented. And that is very hard for some people because we do take pride in our work, right? right. But at, you know, at what expense? Like you can't be depressed and you know, put yourself on medication just to handle your job. Like that's not healthy. Yeah, that's really insightful. So as we start wrapping things up, do you guys have any like new classes that are gonna be offered kind of for the first time soon? So we do have, obviously the next summit is coming up in September. Right. And then after that, we have a virtual supervision academy. So we've converted the 40 hour supervision course, the in-person course into a virtual academy. 
we got a lot of feedback from supervisors that they, so this year we did some hybrid classes where we taught an in-person class, but then people could also attend it virtually online. So we had a few classes this year where we had virtual and in-person attendees. And the attendees, the virtual attendees gave some feedback that it was really hard to sit at a computer for 40 straight hours. So the academy is taking that content and breaking it up so they do a little bit each week with the group. So that's coming in October. October 24th is when the first academy runs and that'll run for six weeks, so. So the, but it's scheduled so that all the attendees are, are still interacting with each other. Yep, they'll still be all together in live sessions, but the sessions will just be like little pieces of the right. class once a week. And then we're also offering the replays of that because supervisors' lives are crazy. So if they happen to have to miss a live session, they can still watch all of the content later on. And other things, we always are <laughs> in the background filming new content for e-courses. So anything that's on demand. We just released a budget course. We have another leadership coming course coming up with Larry Stringham. We have a bloodstain course coming up with Heidi Sievers, the bloodstain doctor. So we're always working on trying to build up our e-course library as well. And then next year, we're going to be way more consistent with webinars as well. So short little bite-sized trainings, we'll have those more frequently next year. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that, great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, and you remind me of all the things, hearing that's right, budget and grants and performance. And, oh, that's right. That's that why no I don't want to be a supervisor anymore. Yeah, that no one explains to you, for sure. Right, just tossed into the, to the deep end. Yep. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, joining us here this afternoon. I hope you've been enjoying the conference so far this week and yeah. you know, another day and a half of, of more good stuff. I, I wish your courses were available when I was a supervisor. I really, oh, really, really wish they were. <laughs> Same for, for me, yeah. <laughs> so what is the website that, they, that they can, people can go to and learn more? Yeah, head to www.gapscience.com. We also love social media. My favorite is Instagram, but we're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. And we also know that a lot of uh, people in forensics, especially if they work in government or law enforcement, which most of us do, they try to stay off of social media. So we built a uh, community platform just for forensic professionals. It's not social media, but it looks and feels just like social media. So if you head to our website, there's an invitation link that you can head to and join our community. We already have what? A hundred people in there so yeah. far, yeah. At, at least 350, maybe 400 at this point, so. Great. All right. Well, thank you guys all for listening here today. And if you have any questions for us you know, or for the ladies here from Gap Science, you know, send us emails, glenn at eliteforensicservices.com or eric at rayforensics.com. Or you can probably just ask the questions directly to, to them from you know, their websites and all the information that's on there. So we should have a bunch of new merchandise for the podcast up on doubleloopodcast.com. We've got a lot of new t-shirts this year that went over really well. Like we did like almost twice as much stuff as last year. So we're really excited about that. We might have to interview the person who is selling well, all those things. Well, yes, yes, she's, she's sitting, <laughs> Becca's sitting right over here, you know, kind of feeding me questions uh, as, as, she, uh, as she comes up with them. But uh, yeah, absolutely, because it just, just an amazing uh, year for the podcast booth that we had at the conference. And we could definitely not have ever done this without all of you guys out there listening and all of uh, you guys that are uh, patrons on patreon.com. Thank, so you, thank all. you guys so much for that. 
The opinions expressed on this show are those of the speaker, not necessarily anyone that they work for. And with that, talk to you guys later. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody.